Hello and welcome back to the Honor Summit podcast. The Honor Summit is an organization that exists to center Asian American women and all women in the mission of God. And our podcast is a very special space where we get to listen in on some important conversations that we think are happening in the church, in our organization, and among Asian American women more generally. I am your host, Julie Yeun Kim. So today I'm really excited to introduce you all to my friend Ruth Pham Jay, who is also a collaborator at the Honor Summit. So let me tell you all a little bit about Ruth, this phenomenal woman. She graduated from Millersville University with a teaching degree and from Alliance Theological Seminary with an MDiv in Old Testament studies. She's currently living in San Diego with her husband and two kids. She has a passion to see people experience life transformative intimacy with Jesus. So at the Honor Summit, Ruth, you are designing and teaching our cohorts. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. I am planning a cohort for this spring. So I think the first topic of this cohort season is something that made me kind of like, whoa, this is interesting, right? That's not what I would have imagined a first season to be about. So the topic is spiritual formation. So I'm excited. Um, I want to hear more about it, Ruth. Maybe we can just start with some logistical details. It is entirely online and it's uh, you can access it for a small fee and it's happening in May. And all the information that you need can be found in the description for this episode below. Could you tell us a little bit like what are the cohorts? Like what things should we keep in mind? What was the purpose of it? That's a great question. Um, so when I was designing this cohort, I was thinking about um, what were some of the things for my own spiritual formation journey that was necessary for me to experience healing, to experience freedom, especially within the unique narrative of my Asian American and more specifically my Vietnamese American background. And so a lot of the topics within this particular cohort are topics that I went through while I was at seminary, but I wanted to be able to approach these topics to anyone who wanted to experience their freedom. This is going to be a seven week cohort. So for seven weeks, we're going to cover seven different topics. Um, so some of the topics include, um, we're gonna go over family of origin. So kind of like reframing our family, community and culture context to kind of understand why certain values and truth impact us and how they define us and the way that we see and interpret the world. Um, some uh, other topics are deprivations, walking in authority, forgiveness, repentance, curses. So I, I know that I'm kind of listing these all out, but all of these topics are really to kind of help us understand where we're coming from, um, some of the things that we've grown up within our family, that we've grown up within our culture, and how they've been impacting us not just emotionally and mentally but deeply spiritually as well um, some of the latter topics also include going through inner healing forgiveness repentance and this is my favorite topic out of all the cohorts which is walking in authority so we're going to be talking about spiritual authority what that looks like in terms of our intimacy with God um, and what authority looks like very practically in this world too uh, so these are some of the topics that we're going to cover in the cohort and in addition, the purpose behind all these different topics is this. When I think about my own story and I think about um, what I've gone through, I've always realized that I have never been able to 
kind of connect the pieces behind my narrative. I've never been able to connect the pieces behind why I value certain things, why I see the world in a certain way, why I feel hurt and pain in certain areas. And of course, not everyone experienced that similar story, but I think the connection that we can have is kind of to understand those patterns, where those patterns are coming up and to know that, you know, as followers of Jesus, he wants to see us be renewed. You're saying, at least, okay, I'm hearing a lot, but one thing that I'm picking up is that you're saying healing and freedom come from knowledge, right? Knowing, being able to name maybe the pieces that make up our lives, where we come from, um, our context and all of that. Yes. Um, and knowledge, I, I want to broaden that definition too, because knowledge isn't always just knowing things, right? Because I think like, you know, even like in your gut, you can know it, but you can't put a name to it. So part of knowledge is kind of framing our reality with words, with um, uh, with principles, with um, um, with understanding that also incorporates um, our experiences, our life experiences, our emotional experience, our relational experience. It's a very holistic approach. Um, and sometimes, you know, I, I, I define this very, um, very much like this because I think in a very westernized approach, we think that, oh, if I could just have this knowledge, then I'm good. But it doesn't work like that, you know. I think knowledge is very experiential too. And outside of a Western world, knowledge is carried on in so many different ways. Um, but you are absolutely right. When we use the term knowledge, really what I'm talking about is self-awareness. But self-awareness is one part, right? So if we can start with that self-awareness, if we can start with that understanding, if we can understand why we've experienced what we've experienced, then we can take that step to make um, for towards healing. We can take the step towards forgiveness. We can take that step towards freedom um, and start to live very proactively instead of passively. Yeah, no, I, I love that. You you went there. He said in Western paradigms, right? Yeah, you're right. Knowledge is often turned into information that we use like for you know rational reasons, but you're right. Knowledge is in our body. It's in our gut sometimes. It's in our relationships. I guess a question that comes up for me hearing you talk about this cohort is I'm just assuming then that we're going to be talking about our families a little bit like is that true I just would assume like context and um you, you said family of origins I don't really know what that means I think it means something to you that doesn't quite you know make like translate the same way to me I think a lot of our listeners including myself and I'm assuming you too a lot of Asian American women one of the most important ways that we even define our identities is wife to blank, daughter to so-and-so, mother to whoever, right? Is family going to appear in that way a lot in the cohort? Definitely. Family is such a big part. And, you know, even within our own formation, our personal formation, our individual formation, um, not just as um, people, but in terms of our values, our understanding, how we define our world, family plays a major part of it. But family also carries 
implication, not just in a relational context, but in a very emotional and spiritual context as well. And so, you know, as you um, mentioned, family of origin is going to be a big part of the cohort. We're going to cover it for one week. And how I define family of origin is really what are the values, the inherent values, um, the cultural values, because each family in itself has its own culture. And within its culture, it's its own, whether it's its ethnic culture or um, uh, whatever that is, you know, um, family of origin really is to kind of unearth what are those values. A lot of the times the values can be open, um, explicit. And a lot of those times those values are very not explicit at all. They're right. nonverbal, they're hidden values. And we don't really always become aware of when those values pop up and impact us, impact our relationships, impact our parenting, impact our marriage, things like that. And it even impacts the way that we view our spiritual reality as well. And so family of origin really is to help connect the pieces of how we have been um, in a way formed. And it gives us the chance to understand where we're coming from so that we can understand how we can move forward. Oh yeah, I love hearing that. When you say like families have cultures, like something that I'd like to name as an example might be every family has their own way of dealing with conflict, right? So, and <laughs> I didn't really have to think about it as much as I did. I, I, I did think about it as a single woman, but once I got married, it became like a lot more apparent, like, oh, my family deals with conflict in this way. And I know it because now I have this third party person kind of like pointing it out to me like, oh, you, you're doing this. And I'm like, yeah, don't we all do that? <laughs> so I guess like that is one way to kind of put an example to the way that um, even the nuclear family creates a culture, but how that is also passed down. So often I think when we become Christians, especially for Asian Americans, we feel like the family part of us has to disappear because formation in America is so individualistic. Like it's like you and God, right? But I don't really feel like that's intrinsically how, I, don't, I shouldn't say intrinsically, but culturally, that's just, just not how it is for a lot of Asian Americans, especially children of immigrants, right? So I, I love that you're gonna be talking about that. Can I also now ask like, who is it that you hope to reach through these cohorts? Do you have like an, like a picture of the kind of person that you want to see that, that you think will benefit most? Maybe I shouldn't put it in those kinds of terms, but who do you want to draw into these spaces? That's a great question. Um, so when I was designing the cohort, the person that I have in mind, and this is hopefully without, you know, generalizing um, the individuals and the people who are going to be a part of this cohort, but the person I had in mind is a person who wants more but can't seem to get there. And this can be for anyone, you know, this can be for the mom who sees patterns in her parenting or um, in how they treat their children very similar to their mother or maybe their father. And they're like, why am I acting like my parents right now? You know, like, why am I constantly getting triggered every time like my kids are like flipping out? You know, why, why, why is that? And then you start to realize like, I never got the freedom to be able to just express myself. Or maybe this is like, you know, for the person who is struggling so hard in your career and in your academic studies and 
the thing is like you've been working so hard all your life and it never seems unending and maybe you've experienced success maybe you haven't yet experienced success but there's this drive that doesn't feel like you're thriving there's this drive where instead of feeling um hopeful or joyful about what's coming you just feel depressed you feel anxious you feel nervous you feel fear you know a lot of these things um, that we are experiencing those are the people that I'm thinking about yeah I can think of many experiences many moments in my life where this would have been good for me <laughs> you know I this is somewhat unrelated one day I realized that I was seeing a pattern of so many young women uh, Christian women say like I want to be trained. I want to be equipped. Right. Um, and I one day made the connection like, wow, I never hear men say that. Like, I don't, I mean, that's not completely true. Like I hear it in different ways. Like I want to be mentored. I want to be a pastor. Like I hear those things, but I think the specific yearning to say, like, I want to be invested in, you know, like I want space to explore this. Like that is, personally in my judgment a very unique woman's cry young woman's cry a lot of times and maybe not even young women it's just i'm surrounded by young women so i hear them say it the most it's not always because women are not being poured into it's sometimes because there are male leaders who feel most comfortable uh, mentoring to young men right but there's almost like a shortage of women who are out there doing the work and also um, helping raise up the next generation too like so I hope that this cohort is something that a lot of women will take advantage of, uh, knowing that it is a special yearning among, I've noticed among young Christian women to want more and not know how to get there. So I, I'm saying all this uh, specifically about Asian American women because that's one of the biggest demographics that we see coming through our doors and our, our websites. Uh, but this cohort is open to all women so I'm going to transition us just a little bit. At this point, you know, we've been saying the word spiritual formation, formation, whatnot, almost assuming that everyone is on the same page. But it sounds like you and I are also kind of, to some extent, using them differently. And, you know, that's okay, right? But could you tell us, like, what do you mean by spiritual formation? What do you mean by formation? Of course, definitely. Um, so... You know, I'm I'm not sure, um, but I assume that there will be quite a few people who connect with my early stages of formation. And I think, um, you know, I, I've shared this with you before, Julie. Um, but basically, my my early stages of formation was really geared towards Bible reading, family devotional time, and right behavior. And by right behavior, I mean like obeying everything my parents have asked me. <laughs> you might think, how is that a spiritual practice? But oh, my my parents were really good at making that a spiritual practice. And so, you know, that's just simply how I grew up. And, you know, as a parent myself too, you know, I, um, I have two little ones. Um, parenting and um, forming my little ones, I've also come to understand that, you know, I want my kids to grow up compassionate and kind. I want them to grow up loving others. I want them to grow up loving God. Um, so what I've done to teach them, and I've also seen in the way that, you know, my parents have attempted as well. I love my parents, you know, um, 
and part of being a parent helps me kind of to make those connections and see as well. Um, but in terms of formation in uh, spiritually, um, I've also just seen that there is this desire that my parents have is that as long as my kids believe in God and love God, that's enough. That's it. Um, not anything about character or integrity or healing or freedom or um, creatively thinking about, you know, the future. But it's just as long as my kids love God um, and believe in God, that's enough. And so a lot of my spiritual formation was really centered in any kind of practices that's centered around that main value. So again, going to church, reading the Bible, going to youth group, going to Sunday services and serving, right? Um, so those are like kind of like the bare essentials for Christian spirituality that I grew up with. However, part of my own formation um, even before going into summary that I started to realize was that there's something here that is extraordinary. Um, and when I say extraordinary, what I mean is that, yes, like part of the church going experience was very much centered around community and community values. And, you know, again, I want to bring up my context because that matters in how I view my spirituality too. Um, within the Vietnamese um, community context, part of the expression of spirituality is sharing together. By sharing, it was like very like meal oriented, um, life events happened together. You know, you didn't do anything alone. You did it together, um, whether for good or for worse, you know, like these were the people you grew up, these are the people you stuck with. Whether or not you like them, it doesn't matter. You do it together. And I think that aspect of togetherness was the extraordinary part of um, my spiritual uh, formation. Now, it wasn't perfect, okay? Because we're not perfect people. And even within the cultural context, there are a lot of values that are not necessarily um I guess in a way like um, Bible oriented or Christian oriented, it's much more Vietnamese cultural oriented. Um, and sometimes those things get mixed with spirituality. Um, however, um, that was the starting point for me because I just started to realize that I'm not alone and that if Jesus loved me and if this is what, you know, quote unquote, heaven was supposed to look like, right? That was the term that I grew up with, but this is what heaven's supposed to look like, that we are a community and that we break bread together, worship God together and sing together and pray together, all of that, then, you know, you're part of something. Oh my gosh, I just, it sounds a little bit cultish. <laughs> I don't, I think it all sounds good. You know, so I'm like, wait, yeah, it, where you go with this? <laughs> it sounds good, right? Yes. The part, however, that kind of starts to become overlooked in that is that you don't quite understand who you are. You only understand who you are in terms of your community and the shared values. But what if who you are, your identity, your story, the uniqueness part? And again, you know, like this is the argument and this is the this is the dialogue that I'm still having in particular. Like I absolutely like the um, dichotomy between individualism and community orientation. Both are absolutely necessary, right? Um, but the part that becomes overlooked within this type of um, uh, spiritual and cultural church context can be that part. 
the part in your identity formation. Who are you? What are the unique parts about you? Because here's the thing. If there are parts of you that doesn't fit into that community value and that doesn't fit into that cultural context, what do you do with that part of you? Do you reject it? Do you accept it? Do you try to change it? You know, um, and so what I realized is that who I am and how I am, I always felt a little bit on the margins just because I saw things differently, experienced things differently. It always, it wasn't always what everybody else experienced. And so once I got into college, that's when I realized that there's a drive that I have that I can't, I can no longer assume that everyone is like that. You know, I just started to realize that there are certain values that I have that other people don't necessarily have. I started to see things like, how come there aren't more women leading? How come women are only teaching? Are there other female pastors and preachers? You know, how come we don't talk about these things? You know, I started just realizing and seeing things and asking questions and, you know, conversation just about women itself is one part of it. Um, but there's also the other part of it where there are things that I'm struggling and dealing with. Let's say like um, I struggled a lot with anxiety growing up. Um, and so if you talk about anything like anxiety, depression, fears, um, things like that, sometimes even within a community oriented church context and even in a family context is that you don't talk about that um you kind of like push it under the rug you pretend it's not there because part of the values within the church and the community that I grew up is that you save face you know and part of saving face is that you don't do things to shame yourself or your family um and of course like we can get into that but this is also part of the cohort that I'm going to be covering is that you know understanding why shame and guilt play such a huge part in our spirituality especially as Asian Americans um, and how that's been used to really weaponize our spirituality too. Uh, those are the things that I kind of had to pull apart and figure out for myself. And it really wasn't until going into seminary where, first of all, I realized that the Holy Spirit is a very real person um, and that um, all the uh, the spiritual formation principles that I started with in seminary could only hold up until a certain part because there were also a lot of things that I realized that I was carrying and dealing with that just continued to to uh, appear and you and I actually had the conversation when we were talking about um, a book that you brought up the cyclical nature of spiritual formation now here's the thing I like when we when I talk about cyclical reality we talk about that a lot within the Old Testament because um, the cyclical nature within the Old Testament is just part of their um, uh, their spiritual and cultural understanding even right. of God and so to me, that had always been a foundation for how I understood my spirituality, but I just never gave word to it, not in that way. Um, so connecting those two pieces for myself was very important because that's where I started to understand, you know, for example, when I bring up anxiety, I realized that anxiety has been carried on in my family, especially through the women, but also at the same time, part of the things that have been carried has also been, you know, a lot of um, female leadership and strength. Um, not just because 
the reality or the times have required it, but because that was part of the inherent nature within the women in our family, that was the value and um, uh, that they had carried. Um, but for myself, like there are times where I had experienced anxiety in certain areas of my life but then um, when you put it against, you know, different life seasons and transitions of motherhood, parenting, um, growing older, uh, different seasons, the anxiety always just came back, but it just came back a lot more deeply. And so some of the disciplines or the methods that I've used to deal or process with that just didn't work, you know, whether it's and it's not because of a lack of faith or anything, right? I think it's just more that as we come back to things, we grow. And part of our growing, part of our stories is just that part of our methods is also going to grow too. Um, part of our relationship with God is going to expand too. I was recently talking to um, a, a family friend and she is a, a psychiatrist. But one of the things that she's saying is that, you know, Satan likes to play unfair. He just likes to bring up old wounds because it's easiest, right? But there's a truth in what she says. You know, the reason why old wounds are brought up is because we just don't see the level of depth that it hits and impacts our heart, our soul, our minds, our emotions. And this is the part where I think within the Asian American church context that we really miss out is, is how it affects us in our bodies. You know what I mean? Um, and so that level of depth will continue to be brought up over and over and over again. And I think that's that cyclical nature of our own spiritual formation because now as we access that and bring it into the light and God says, hey, I want to heal you and make this right, inform you and make you whole again, then that's an area in our life where like, okay, that's the experience of freedom that we have, the healing that we have, and ultimately the spiritual authority that comes out of it, you know? And it happens again and again, and in different contexts and at different levels of authority, different levels of maybe, um, you know, it's one thing when you're a mom of three, and then it's now another thing when you're a mom of an 18 year old, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so these things, happen within our human reality because I also believe that reflects our spirituality that's the way God designed our world too and our spiritual experiences and our relationship with him that things are cyclical so what I got so far I mean there's there was a lot right but what I got so far is that spiritual formation is not exclusively the spiritual disciplines is what you're saying right that's where you started saying like it's reading your Bible. And actually, I think a lot of what you were describing was like a um, like a Christian piety. You're saying that is not in itself the full picture of spiritual formation. You're talking about something a lot more holistic. And in my seminary, we love the word embodied and holistic, integrated, right? So it's the way that spiritual um, lives um, interact with physical lives and mental lives and um, social, family, cultural lives, right? So it's the picture of all of that. Absolutely right. Yes. And I love that you say that it's not just spiritual disciplines, because here's the thing, you know, um, when I had my seminary experiences, it started with spiritual disciplines. And I think that's okay. It's okay to start there, because a lot of times people don't know where to start. And the same is true for me. So I can start there. But as I continue to grow and um, walk this path of 
you know, Christian spirituality. For me, it's becoming so much more than that. I realized that it has impacted my relationship. It's impacted my identity. It's impacted so much. Um, and once I come to that understanding, it became a lot easier, but also at the same time, a lot harder too, because it's not clear cut answers anymore. That our walk with God isn't so much as simple as like, okay, if I just read a Bible, then my anxiety disappears. Maybe that can pray happen. it out. Right. <laughs> pray it out. Maybe that can happen. And that would be great if it did. But it's not always like that. And people's lives are complicated and nuanced. And that's just how God created us as well. And so, you know, you brought in all those examples of how it's interconnected and how it's integrated. And that's where a lot of the times, um, especially if um, I, I think in a way, church and I hope I'm not generalizing this too much, but at least my church experience is that we didn't even have that complexity to understand that, to teach that, um, to um, grow that healthy um, spirituality that was whole and um, to talk about even the terms fullness, you know what I mean? Like the fullness or abundance of spirituality. And it sounds like very broad terms. And for the longest time, I really struggled with that because I didn't understand what that meant. But I also realized that I never quite connected um, those values because what I realized for me is that the values that I grew up was just the bare minimum. And so the idea that spiritual formation could mean so much more than that can affect so much more than that um, in the ways that, you know, you had talked about. That's where once I came to that understanding, I was like, oh, this is what community is really supposed to be about. And this is how my part as an individual is really supposed to be about. And I'm just going to sneak in the word mishpah. <laughs> supposed to be all about you know sorry just to clarify to our listeners that mishpah is a hebrew word that is translated very loosely as justice or justice oriented community but it is such a broader um and also in a way much more specific um definition than that um but it is the spirit in which god really created this whole world to be um and so when i made um, that connection for myself in terms of spiritual formation, that's when I realized it got a lot harder because that's where I realized so much is also at stake, you know, and the work and effort to um, to make those connections, to heal, um, to um, really kind of require me to realize that, oh, this is not just about me anymore. You know, this affects everyone around me. So I'm, that's a really interesting thought, how you said the more you thought outside of the kind of collectivism that was just kind of prescribed to you, you said you grew up in an Asian American community where you were just expected to be a part of this community. And the more you pushed out of it and the more you learned, the more you were brought back to the community. <laughs> so I really love that. That's another cycle in itself, right? <laughs> um, I love that you brought up Mishpat and you said it's broader, but also more specific. And you're, you know, you're an old, old Testament studies person. So you know this better than I do. I guess there's no way around talking about Mishpat and bringing that into your life because the whole old Testament, I think can almost be brought back to this idea of Shalom and Mishpat, right? Like these, these cousin terms or these sibling terms 
of well-being and justice in the way that God intended it. I, I love also how starting off with spiritual disciplines, which is like your actions of like praying well and reading the Bible and being obedient and doing all that brought you to think about something much larger. And you're saying now like justice is like the end of it almost, or like that's where you ended up. And I think that's a really fascinating thing. If you just have like a little more you want to say about it, I'd love to hear it. Yes. So, um, you know, you listed some of the examples of spiritual disciplines that I talked about. And I also want to bring up even like, you know, I, I use the book Richard Foster and all the spiritual disciplines like silent solitude, um, fasting and things like that. So I, I want our listeners to also understand that we have a, um, a more broad example for spiritual disciplines as well. Um, but just to go back on the terms uh, cyclical, because um, you, you, you said that it brought me to justice in a broader term. Yes, that's absolutely true. Because how we treat the people around us, and it needs to also be very specific too, because we're not just talking about anybody around us, we're talking about anyone within a vulnerable or powerless position. And I'm keeping that broad because the context matters you know what I mean um because powerless can mean anything depending on the context that it's given but I think what is the most important in terms of spiritual formation is that we are all interconnected in the sense that that's how God designed our community to be what it's supposed to be that we're not just islands within itself that we're not just um, little countries of our own, um, but that how we live impacts the people around us and vice versa. And this affects not just on a personal or interpersonal level, this affects, you know, and um, I hope it's okay for me to go there, um, but it also affects policies, you know, it affects um, laws, it affects um, uh, the justice system. These are all interconnected because it's centered around people. You can't get away from that, you know? And yes, you know, as I know that um, money can often be the means of which this world runs, but that's not how God designed it. God designed it that we would live together, that we um, would share our resources together, that we would have responsibilities over each other. Um, and also to take into account the uniqueness of our individuality, of our person, of our values, and to find those places to connect, even though we are so different from each other. Um, I'm just going to bring up Cain and Abel is one way. One example is that Mishpat would have looked that Cain and Abel could have been brothers and lived together, um, even though they were so different. And it was represented as in Cain um, with the grain and as a farmer and Abel as um, agriculture with, um, um, as a shepherd, right? That two very different people with very different values could live together in harmony um, as brothers. And yet the differences that could not allow Cain to look the other way and say, you know, um, or to address his anger, ended up with him um, killing Abel. And so it's those differences between people that is the hardest for us to kind of navigate. And so that's why when I brought up how like, it was a lot easier in the sense when I understood how things were interconnected and integrated, but it was also a lot harder because those differences become so obvious, so distinct that there, it's not easy to navigate those differences. It's not easy to connect 
um, when let's say your values are so different, when you see the world so differently, you know, how do you create relationship um, that's healthy um, when those differences might create conflict? And that's where conflict comes from. It's a differences in values. It's a difference in seeing things and living life. And so that's why for me, you know, the, the topics that I chose in particular are so important um, because that's how I see all of this leading us back to that justice at the end of the day is part of it. It's not justice for other people. That's also justice for ourselves, that we're not, you know, just walking in darkness, that we're not just walking in our sin and our shame or our guilt or whatever that we're struggling with, that we all, all of us get to live fully, all of us get to live abundantly, all of us get to share that blessing and resource together. Again, I want to make this clear that spiritual formation is not just a spiritual reality alone, but this is a spiritual reality that impacts everything, our, um, our relationships, our bodies, etc. Yeah. I, I also here want to interject and kind of clear up something. When we say the word justice here, right? As you said, we're we're using it in the Hebraic term, like the, in the idea of mishpat, right? We're not using justice exclusively, although it is included exclusively in the way that justice is known today, right? Which is like, I don't know, a lot of times, especially in the Christian circle, we have a kind of disparaging view of justice as like social justice warriors, like who are always like, who are who love controversy and whatever else um that, that's a little discouraging but we don't actually mean it in that way i think what you're talking about is justice as just god's intention for humanity in right living with one another with ourselves and with god so in that way it's more specific and it's broader right so just to clear that up in case some, some people want to exit out of here because we said the word justice please don't we don't mean it that way I think formation is like really it's, like it's a matter of discipleship, right? But it's a matter of discipleship that takes seriously the intrapersonal and the interpersonal too, right? So what are you bringing? What kind of spiritual baggage are you bringing? What kind of psychological baggage are you bringing? What are What is like your makeup as a person? And how does that factor into discipleship? Because I think oftentimes in American context, we make discipleship all about action. Like, go, 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 do this, do this, do that. Go evangelize here, go baptize here. And like, we're so verb heavy but i think discipleship in a noun way of like who am i you know like what what is this world that we're living in and like i think that discipleship in that way is the way i've come to understand formation i think there is a way that you and i actually agree in a lot of ways though we'll come to our conclusions um with different definitions or descriptions so I really appreciate that. I hate to do this, but I'm going to cut our conversation here and invite you, Ruth, and all of our listeners back to join us for the rest next week. Ruth, thank you so much for being here. You will be back. <laughs> thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. To all of our listeners, please keep in mind that the Honor Summit cohorts are beginning in May, so in just a few weeks. These are, again, entirely online for a small fee. And if you are interested in any of the topics that came up in this episode, I encourage you to consider joining the cohort. You can find more information on our website, thehonorsummit.com, or through our Instagram, at thehonorsummit. Bye, everyone. Join us again in the next episode.